Welcome to the Master of None podcast, adventures in a hands-on life. Build. Grow. Cook. Train. Explore. So, several times on the podcast, the idea has come up of, like, survival skills versus bushcraft skills. And usually we focus more on the survival stuff, except a few of our episodes we've talked about, like, choosing a tent that would work for you for camping, stuff like that, more the the bushcraft side of things. And maybe just to clarify, I consider survival skills basically those skills that you only use in a survival situation where you don't have that immediate access to shelter, food, water, air, where your actual survival is in jeopardy. Now, bushcraft skills, on the other hand, those are the skills that allow you to be out in the backcountry, in the outdoors, have a fun time, maybe combined with some other activity, hiking, camping, fishing, hunting, gathering wild mushrooms, whatever it is that you do outdoors. Those bushcraft skills are the things that allow you to have an enjoyable, safe time in that environment without turning it into a survival situation. So I just brainstormed a list of what I would consider maybe my top 10 essential bushcraft skills. And I hate to even call it my top 10 because I'm sure I'll record this, listen to it and be like, oh, well, you forgot that one that's obvious. So let's just call it instead of a top 10, just 10 essential bushcraft skills. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, as kind of a disclaimer, there are a few critical bushcraft skills that we are admittedly just going to skip. So I'm going to talk about a few of those real quick. And the reason that we're going to skip those, well, let's, let's just talk about them. So one of the most important bushcraft skills we're actually going to just skip for now because I'm planning on talking about it much more in depth later on, devoting several episodes to it, and that is land navigation, or basically your use of maps, compass, GPS, your movement across the landscape. And like I said, we're just going to do a lot more on that later. So land navigation, although if I was making an actual top 10 list of bushcraft skills, not getting lost is definitely one of them. We're going to skip that for now. Also, physical condition. If there are, if, and those are honestly two of the, the most important bushcraft skills are probably your physical condition and your land navigation. We're going to skip physical condition also. We talked about that kind of in depth back in episode 111 when we talked about rucking or ruck marching for exercise for physical conditioning. We're going to skip over that one for now, but just know I am aware that your physical conditioning is a critical aspect of your bushcraft. Now, the order that I put these in, I tried to I tried to put them in an order of like least important to most important, like my top 10, like a top 10 countdown. And that just wasn't going well because in certain circumstances you could say, well, this one's now my number one or that one's now my number one or whatever. So 
the order that we're going to talk about these in has nothing to do with like an order of importance or an order in which you should learn and practice them or an order in which you should prioritize these skills. The best I could do for an order is maybe maybe like as you're approaching an outdoor activity or an outdoor situation, maybe this is the order that you will actually have to use these skills in. So, so that's what I'm going with for now. Now, one last thing before we actually jump into our 10 critical bushcraft skills, and that's maybe we call it a bonus skill because even though it's going to come up later in our discussion, I feel the need to mention it now. And that bonus skill is staying dry. Now, if any of you have kids and you've ever had your kids outdoors, skiing, fishing, hiking, camping, whatever it is, I'm sure you can relate to this, but the best way to stay warm is to stay dry. And the fastest way to have kids or or anyone for that matter complaining about being cold is if they get wet. So staying dry is kind of our bonus skill. And that's actually going to play into several of the individual bushcraft skills that we're going to talk about in our in our top 10 bushcraft skills here. Now, why do we need to stay dry? Well, in addition to staying warm, like from a survival perspective, it's going to help you avoid hypothermia. It's going to also just with your comfort, staying dry helps you avoid blisters. We talked about that back in our ruck marching episode, that the most important or the, the best way to avoid blisters is actually by keeping your feet dry. Um, chafing on other parts of your body as you're hiking, moving around, whether that's armpits or wherever, wherever you have one patch of skin moving against another patch of skin, if you can stay dry, that's going to avoid chafing, which is actually kind of kind of the beginning of a blister. So that's actual damage to your skin, which is obviously uncomfortable. And on top of that, being wet and damp is just uncomfortable. So if you want to have fun out there, avoiding being cold, avoiding blisters, avoiding chafing, and avoiding that general discomfort of of being damp, staying dry is, is kind of our bonus skill that applies to many, many other individual skills. In fact, oftentimes when I'm outdoors, engaged in some outdoor activity, I find myself actually consciously asking myself the question, is this choice that I'm about to make, is this making me more likely or less likely to stay dry? And if the answer is, this is decreasing my odds of staying dry, I need to seriously weigh the cost benefit of that choice that I'm about to make. So with all of that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into my list that I just brainstormed. And I'm sure I've missed some stuff, but hey, you're going to get 10 10 skills anyway, my list of top 10 essential bushcraft skills. Number one, packing your backpack. So when it comes to packing my backpack, actually the first thing that comes to mind is that so often I I get the question, something something to the effect of, what is your number one luxury item? in the backcountry, and everybody has their one thing that it's like, yeah, I don't have to have this, but it just makes my experience out in the backcountry so much more enjoyable. So for some people that might be a larger tent, 
So they're willing to sacrifice, you know, some, some extra weight that they're carrying to have that larger tent, to have more room to move around, whatever. That's what it is for some people. For other people, maybe it's uh, a certain food item. Maybe some other people have like an extra comfortable sleeping pad, something like that, that just makes their experience out there more comfortable. Maybe for somebody else, it's a bottle of scotch. So you can have a little nightcap before you go to bed for the night. Whatever it is, everybody has their one thing. That's their number one backcountry luxury item. So for me, honestly, my number one backcountry luxury item is a lighter pack. Now, there are a lot of ways to accomplish that, and we'll cover some tips real quick here. First of all, if I find that I that I go out several times without using something, and yes, there are like worst case emergency situations that need some item like like my tourniquet. I'm not going to remove my tourniquet from my pack just because I haven't used it on my last two or three trips. Now, tourniquet will absolutely stay in my pack. Other things that I'm like, oh, maybe I'll need this. And then I find that I don't use it over and over, but it's not one of those life-saving emergency items like a tourniquet. That'll just get removed from the pack. Other things, if I can reduce the weight of a lot of my other individual items, and people joke the classic... The classic example is the toothbrush and backpackers like cutting their toothbrush in half to save weight. And people are like, oh, that doesn't actually save that much weight. True, it doesn't if that was the only thing that you cut in half. But if I can cut the weight of every single item in my pack in half, yeah, my pack has its own weight. So maybe I can reduce my overall load from 50 pounds down to 30 pounds. That makes a big difference. Now, when, you, when you're talking about carrying that lighter pack, other people have heard the criticism of, oh, I guess you just need to spend more time in the gym. Or maybe you need to, to train more to carry that heavier pack. And yeah, that's, that's great. I get that. But if, if I train for carrying that heavier pack and I can do that, and then I give myself a lighter pack, or let's say you and I both are engaged in some competitive type of outdoor activity, guess what? If we have gone through equal training, we're equally fit, and I'm able to cut my pack weight in half, I'm I'm going to win because I'm just going to outmaneuver you in the mountains. I'm going to move faster, cover more ground per day, and by the time I get to wherever it is that I need to be, I'm going to be less tired. That's just the fact of the matter regardless of how good of shape I'm in, I will perform better with a lighter pack. So so that's why I say that my number one backcountry luxury item is a light pack. So all of that aside though, let's talk about your actual pack and how to pack your backpack. And I'm just going to give you a few considerations. Now, it might take me an hour or two if we were actually doing this one-on-one face-to-face. I could show you what I'm talking about, give you some pointers. We could go on a hike, adjust things for you, and I could really get you dialed in. I'm just going to give you some quick pointers to think about next time you throw on your backpack. First thing, just kind of the size and style of your backpack. And there are a lot of things out there that are available that that work just fine. Some of the modern 
internal frame backpacks are absolutely amazing. Just the way that they're really ergonomically designed for weight distribution. It, it honestly feels like they're reducing the weight by, I don't know, maybe, maybe a third, like carry carrying. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too into the weeds here, but I could take the, the same amount of weight and put it in like a traditional rucksack versus one of these modern backpacks. And in the modern backpack, instead of feeling like it's 60 pounds, even though I have 60 pounds in both packs, it's actually going to feel like 40 pounds just because of the way that it distributes the weight. Now, there are a lot of things you can do, though, to your pack, even if you're working with maybe a military surplus traditional rucksack or a lower end backpack, there are a lot of things you can do to make that pack ride more comfortably. So personally, I have kind of two packs that are my go-to packs and neither of these is even, even remotely one of those modern high-end packs. Maybe eventually I'll get one of those. Anyway, for now I have basically two packs that I use. One of them is a one day assault pack and it's it's a non-frame pack so it's just a a cloth pack it's made completely of fabric has no frame no internal or external frame whatsoever fairly small basically it can it can hold the amount of stuff that i would need for one day i would not take that pack on an overnight trip my other pack is an older probably 20 year old external frame pack um, that now in yeah in comparison to some of the modern backpacking stuff it's not that great but guess what it works just as well now as it did when I got it and back when I got it it was one of the better packs out there so yeah I get that it's not the best thing out there right now but for me it still works so so those are kind of my two go-to packs one for like overnight, multi-day kind of things, or some activity that I need more gear for to haul in, and the smaller one-day assault pack for just day trips. Here's the thing, though. Regardless of the type of pack you have, whether it's brand new, top-of-the-line, best pack out there, or some military surplus from 50 years ago, or something that you've had for the last 20 years, Whatever it is that you're working with, there are a lot of things that you can apply to any of those packs that are going to make them more comfortable to carry. It's going to distribute that weight better and and just improve your overall experience. So first thing is any pack that you have, you need to adjust it to your body. And mostly the main factor there is going to be your torso length. Now, I've found that most people tend to wear their straps a little too long and the pack too low. It makes the pack rest like mid-back. In reality, you want your pack up, I'm going to say like right between your shoulder blades is where you want kind of the center of mass of your pack is all the way up at like armpit or even a little higher level, like right between your shoulder blades. The next thing to do is to adjust that waistband. If your pack is equipped with any sort of waistband, adjust that so that it's, you don't want it so tight that it's like creating blisters, but you need it tight enough that it's actually carrying the weight. Now, 
If any of you have ever been rock climbing before, you know that one of the fundamental principles of rock climbing is that you're actually climbing with your legs and you're using your arms to hold your body into the cliff or into the rock that you're climbing. So you're not actually climbing and pulling with your arms in general. You're just using your hands to grip into the cliff and then you're providing that upward movement with your legs, which are obviously larger, stronger muscles. Think of your backpack as doing the same thing. The straps are there. Those are the equivalent of your arms. The straps are there to hold the pack close to your body, not to carry the weight. The weight should rest on that waistband and down onto your hips. If, like I said, if you have a pack that's actually equipped with a waistband. Next tip on on getting your pack all adjusted Figure out whether your pack is a, is equipped with tightening straps. Now, some packs are, some packs aren't. So some packs, you'll just have to get them adjusted and go with it. Other packs have these secondary straps where you can get everything adjusted and and then pull on these other straps and it, it'll just tighten it up like that extra inch of, of tightness. So if your pack has tightening straps, what you want to do is get everything adjusted so it's just slightly loose, just like an inch looser than it should be that makes it easier to put on and usually these will be on both the waistband and the shoulder straps and then what you can do like i said get it on your body and having it a little looser makes it easier to actually get your arms through get everything buckled and then you're just going to grab those straps and usually they'd be on the front of each of those those shoulder straps and usually you're going to pull them down just to tighten it up a little bit and then same thing on the waistband give that a little cinch on that tightening strap and that just really tightens that that backpack up so that it's tight against your body and the weight is resting on your hips not on your shoulders because trust me you do not want to hike all day with the weight of your pack pulling on your shoulders and neck muscles you're going to have a headache you're going to be fatigued you're going to be miserable by the end of the day as opposed to getting that weight down on your hips where your legs are taking that weight so Figure out with your pack if it has those tightening straps and use those if they are equipped. Now, all of the loose straps, once you get your your pack all adjusted, you're, you're probably going to have a bunch of extra strappiness all hanging everywhere. You don't want that. So what I like to do is actually wrap those up, just just roll them up, but not not in a circular roll. Do like a maybe a two or three inch fold on those. So they're wrapped up, folded over. So let's say that I have an extra foot of strap hanging out. Usually you're not going to have that much, but that gives me several folds, two or three inches and fold it over five or six times. And then I'm going to take some, some tape and I don't usually use duct tape. I'll usually use like the, uh, that tan, like hundred mile an hour tape, which is similar to duct tape, but um, I find it holds up better in an outdoor environment once it's exposed to sun and wind and rain and all of that and do several wraps of tape around that strap so you just have a little tab that's all taped together nice and neatly instead of that loose strap hanging because you're just going to look sloppy hiking on the trail with those loose straps dangling everywhere on top of that if you're trying to like move through some thick cover or thick brush those extra straps are just going to get tangled up so you want to be nice and sleek going through any sort of brush you don't want to get tangled up so 
take those straps, once you have everything adjusted to your body size, fold them up and tape them so that you don't have any danglies. Uh, we already kind of talked about getting that weight onto your hips versus your versus your shoulders. So you accomplish that in a couple ways, mostly with the adjustment of the pack, but also with where you put the weight in the pack. So two quick tips on the weight in your pack. This may seem obvious, but balance the pack evenly left and right. You don't want more weight on the right or left side. You want you want even weight right in the middle. Now, um, next tip is the heaviest items in the pack. So the kind of the center of gravity of the pack, you want to try to get that as much as you can. You want it high in the pack. You want it right up next to your shoulder blades. You want it close to your body and you want it concentrated toward the center. So what I mean by that, I guess the opposite of that would be allowing the pack to be heavy in the bottom of the pack or allowing it to be heavy far away from your shoulders or having weight, heavy weight on the left and right sides, even if it is balanced. So get that weight up high. Why do we want the weight up high? Because the higher it is, the more it's going to put that weight on your hips and not on your shoulder straps. Close to your body. This is just physics. The further the weight is from your back, the more torque it's putting, the more leverage it has to tip you over backwards. The closer you get that weight to your body, the the less leverage that weight has to tip you over and the lighter that pack is actually going to feel. And then finally, left and right, the more you get that weight centered in the pack versus being heavy way out on the left and right sides, it's just going to be easier for you to walk and move. The next question is, what items do you want to have easily accessible? Now, most most packs are going to have a bunch of smaller, like external little zippered pockets that you can just put a few things in so that you can take your pack off and you don't have to dig for those items. So stuff like your, I don't know, whatever it is that you use when you sleep, like my pillow, my pillow that I'm backpacking with, I don't need to have easy, quick access to my pillow. On the other hand, my compass Maybe I want easy, quick access to my compass or my GPS or a water bottle or, you know, maybe I want quick access to a small water bottle, but my, my larger water bottles that I'm taking to have more water, not to drink out of necessarily, maybe I don't need really quick access to those. So think about those items that you need quick access to, or maybe an extra knife, a lighter, matches, whatever it is put those in those external pockets that are really easy to get to. Or if you're hunting, maybe it's your rangefinder. Maybe you actually have that on you, not in your pack or binoculars or things like that, that you don't, or that you do need quick access to put those in those external pockets. The other stuff like my, my clothes that I'm not going to wear for another three days, those can be buried in the pack. My, like I said, my pillow, my sleeping pad, anything like that, that I don't need to be able to get within seconds, put the, that can be buried in the pack. Or, or maybe there's some stuff that I don't need like immediate quick access to, but I don't want to have to dig for it, like my rain jacket. So when it comes to where I have my clothing stored, I'm probably going to put my rain jacket right on top. 
because that's the most likely item that I'm going to want to be able to grab really quick of my clothing. And then finally, assuming that you're on a multi-day trip, think about where you keep your backpack and your tent, because those are probably the two single bulkiest items that you have. What I usually tend to do is I put, I actually put my, did I say my backpack in my tent? Okay, that's not what I meant. And back up, think about where you put your sleeping bag and your tent on your pack, because those are probably the two single bulkiest items that you have. So I usually put my sleeping bag actually at the bottom of my pack because it's bulky and fairly lightweight. Remember, we're trying to get that weight up high. So something really lightweight like my sleeping bag that's bulky, it's going to go all the way at the bottom. Now, some packs, you're going to actually put it in the bottom of the pack and pack everything else on top of it. Other packs actually have like an external area at the bottom that you can strap a sleeping bag into that's actually outside of the main compartment of the of the pack, which is also kind of nice because that literally increases the capacity of what you can carry because you're not using up all that volume by stuffing your sleeping bag into the inside of the pack. Either way, I usually put my sleeping bag all the way at the bottom of my pack being a bulky, lightweight item. Tent, on the other hand, tends to be one of the heavier things that I'm carrying So it's going to go, I'm usually going to put it on, actually on top of my pack, either even like externally at the top of the pack, just strapped onto it across the top of my pack because it's big. It's usually longer. Even once it's all rolled up, my tent is usually going to be longer than what will easily fit inside my pack unless I'm opting for like a super lightweight minimalist trip and all I'm using is like a tarp tent or something like that. Anyway, any sort of tent most of the time is going to be one of the heavier items. So get it up high on the pack or even, like I said, strapped to the top of your pack. So that's skill number one is packing your backpack, which like everything else, you will get better at that with practice. So don't think that you can just listen to my podcast and then know everything about packing your backpack because you're going to refine your method. You'll You'll decide, oh, here's this one thing that I kept having to dig for. I should actually move that to one of the external pockets of my backpack so I have quick access to it. Or here's this other thing that I never use that seems like the coolest little backcountry gadget, but I never actually use it, so I'm not even going to take that with me. Or here's how I attached my, my sleeping bag or my tent last time, and I'm going to tweak that a little to make it easier to carry or easier to pack up or or whatever it is. So so that's tip number one, and you'll refine that system as you go, how to pack your backpack. Not, not really tip. Skill number one, how to pack your backpack. Skill number two, manage your clothing system. Now, we've talked about this many times before. When it comes to a survival situation, most of the time your survival depends solely on your ability to find shelter because air yeah if you don't have air you're either dead in a couple minutes or you manage to find air water on the other hand you have at least three days without water before you actually die of dehydration and food you have three weeks or more to find food before you're actually dying of starvation now 
I kind of joke about this. I'm like, when it comes to food in a survival situation, if I have three weeks without food, you could literally drop me anywhere in the lower 48 and I could walk to a McDonald's within three weeks. So food is literally not a survival issue. What is a very real factor when it comes to your survival is shelter because in our rule of threes, we have three hours without shelter before we're facing like imminent death. That's rule of threes if you're not familiar with it. Three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. And that's how we prioritize our survival needs amongst other factors and our decision-making tree and other things that we've talked about in other more like survival geared episodes of the podcast. Anyway, shelter. Three hours without shelter and the most fundamental part of our whole shelter situation is our clothing system. So there's kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's a joke. It's not really a joke because it's actually very true. There's a thing when it comes to outdoor clothing or outdoor gear or, or actually any gear or equipment for that matter, that there are three things and you get to pick two. Those three things are lightweight, durable, and inexpensive. Now, you're never going to find an item that is all three. You get to pick two of those things. So again, lightweight, durable, inexpensive. Here, here are some examples. If I want something that's lightweight and durable, it is not going to be inexpensive. Something that's both lightweight and durable is going to be the most expensive, highest-end gear that you can find. So in that case, you've chosen lightweight and durable. You picked those two. Now, how about lightweight and inexpensive? If you pick those two, think like typical stuff that you find at unnamed big box store in their camping aisle and you grab the the cheap tent off their shelf that's also lightweight. It may be lightweight and inexpensive. It is not going to be durable. So you've chosen to prioritize those two, lightweight and inexpensive. And I, I should also mention there, there are times for each of these three. There are times to choose expensive. There are times to choose not that durable. And there are times to choose heavy. So depending on the specific gear item and your exact situation, I'm not saying that any of these three choices are right or wrong. So again, if you choose that lightweight and inexpensive option, that's going to be a lot of the stuff that you find at your local big box store in their camping and outdoors aisle. Uh, The third option is durable and inexpensive. Now, if you choose durable and inexpensive, guess what? It's not going to be lightweight. It's going to be heavy. Think stuff that you find at an Army-Navy surplus store. It might be cheap. It might be nearly unbreakable, but it's going to be heavy because militaries are really good at hauling a lot of really heavy stuff and doing their best to break it. So that's why military surplus stuff is the inexpensive, durable, and definitely not lightweight. So just keep that in mind as we discuss your clothing system and all of your other gear and skills and everything for that matter that 
when it comes to any individual item that you're choosing to purchase and take with you, that's kind of a choice you're going to have to make. Lightweight, durable, inexpensive. You're never going to find something that's all three. That would be ideal. You're going to have to pick two of those three things. So let's talk about your clothing system. Now, I realize there are so many different environments that you might be in, but there are a lot of kind of fundamental principles that are going to apply to any of those environments. And so first of all, maybe is asking, what is the function of your clothing? So the function of your clothing is usually going to fall into several categories. Insulation, that's keeping you warm when outside of you is cold. Windbreak, so the the wind can actually, it's called wind chill, it's physics, it actually makes you cool off faster. So on top of your insulation, if you have a wind break so that you don't have that air actually moving past your body, that can actually make your insulation more effective. Uh, rain protection, because rain makes things wet, which makes you cold. So actually keeping you dry and protecting you from the rain, or sun protection, actually giving you shade with your clothing. So those are kind of general categories that any clothing item is going to fall into. And it could, it could actually provide more than one of those things. So a question to ask yourself as you're managing your clothing system is, well, two things kind of what's the weather that I'm expecting. And then what is my worst case weather? So maybe the weather that I'm expecting is hot and sunny, in which case I'm going to prioritize that sun protection. But my worst case is a possible thunderstorm and torrential downpour, in which case I also need to prepare for some rain protection. Now, if I'm talking hot and sunny with a possibility of an isolated thunderstorm, I probably don't need to worry that much about insulation or even the windbreak for that matter, because my my rain protection is also going to provide that wind protection. You get the idea. Uh, another example might be maybe I'm going on a, a hunting trip up in the mountains in Wyoming in January. And my expected weather is sub-zero temperatures and snow and high winds. Well, I can prepare for that. And guess what I don't have to worry about? I don't have to worry about sun protection, for one, even though since I'm going to be completely covered up, I would also be protected from the sun, but I'm also not going to have to worry about rain protection. Believe it or not, there's actually kind of a certain weather window where as it gets colder, it's easier to stay warm. Uh, for example, I would, I would rather try to stay warm in weather that's, say, in the teens or 20s and snowing, it's much easier to stay warm in that than it is in slightly warmer weather that's maybe in the high 30s or low 40s and raining. Because at least if it's snowing, that that moisture is frozen. So I'm not getting wet. And since it's easier to stay dry in the snow than it is in the rain, it's actually much easier for me to stay warm in that colder weather. Now, when it comes to your clothing, there's kind of... I guess the next thing that I want to talk about, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of things. The next thing that I want to talk about is the actual material. And I tended to break this into three categories. So one would be natural plant fiber. 
the next one would be synthetic fiber or wool. Now, each one has its place. Now, synthetic fiber, let's... Ooh, that, that's a tough one because there's so much variety and synthetic fibers can be like really high quality for certain purposes or they can be just like total junk that aren't going to do anything for you. So there's a lot of variation there. So just be aware of that. Um, natural plant fibers, mostly cotton, is, is going to be the most common one. Cotton has its place, but you need to be aware of of what it can and can't do. Now, um, when cotton gets wet, so, and a lot of our clothing is oftentimes made out of cotton. Uh, denim typically is made of 100% cotton. It can have other additives too, but if you're out there, let's say you're out there fishing in jeans and a t-shirt and a flannel shirt, you might think, yeah, I'm, you know, fairly well protected but there's a good chance that you're wearing cotton jeans, a cotton t-shirt, and a cotton flannel shirt. Once that gets wet, let's say your boat capsizes or you get too excited about fighting a fish and you fall in the water or whatever it is, you get wet or that, that sudden thunderstorm and those clothes get soaked. Those clothes, not only do they no longer have the insulation properties that they had when they're dry, but because they're wet, they're actually going to start pulling heat out of your body and you will go hypothermic remarkably quickly, even on a fairly mild day, if you're wearing cotton clothing that's wet. Now, kind of the other side of that, and one of the times when I really like cotton clothing, is if I'm dealing with exceptionally hot weather, because if my clothing gets wet, whether that's from little rain shower or my own sweat or me intentionally dousing my clothing in water and putting it back on that cotton because because of those cooling properties can actually help you stay cool so um yeah it's just something to keep in mind now when it comes to natural plant fibers uh, cotton's not your only option there's also some really spectacular clothing out there made out of bamboo fiber and if you're in a situation where your main thing is trying to stay cool, both from shade and evaporation and all of that, I find that the bamboo fiber clothing is actually far superior to cotton clothing. So it doesn't have like a flannel shirt, for example, although it's going to give you the shade so you don't get a sunburn. If you're sitting out in the, sh- out in the sun in a flannel shirt, you're going to overheat as opposed to that bamboo fiber clothing, which gives you that shade, but you're also not going to overheat. When that stuff gets wet, it also dries much faster. It doesn't have that tendency to just suck the heat right out of your body as fast. That bamboo fiber clothing can be really, really comfortable on a hot, sunny day. Now, synthetics, on the other hand, I am not an expert well, on anything, but I'm definitely not an expert on synthetic fiber clothing. I will say, though, that something some synthetics act a lot more like wool some synthetics act a lot more like cotton so just be aware of that unless you're getting something that's actually kind of engineered for being outdoor clothing you never know what you're going to get so 
like I said, managing your clothing system is really what we're talking about. We covered some of the basics that you need to understand about the actual clothing that you're wearing, talking about what's the function of that clothing, what's your expected weather, what's your worst case scenario weather. And when I say worst case scenario, I've found that some people think that I'm talking about something other than what I'm talking about. I'm talking like worst likely case. I'm not talking absolute worst case. Like maybe I'm going on a fishing trip and my worst likely case is that isolated thunderstorm. Some people are like, oh, worst case scenario. Well, that would be a volcano exploding. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the worst likely case. So we're going to cover both of those bases, the expected weather and our worst case weather. We're aware of the materials that our clothing is made out of and the properties of those materials. The next thing to do is to manage your layers. So if if your primary concern is staying cool and staying out of the sun, your layers are pretty easy. You're really going to just minimize your layers. You want basically one layer, stay in the shade, stay cool. Pretty easy. It's a little tougher when we're talking about staying warm and staying dry. Maybe we're at high altitude and it's cold and windy and it's going back and forth between rain and snow and sleet and hail. That's when it's really tough and we have to really manage these layers. So I'm sure we could do several episodes just on all of the techniques of managing these layers, I'm just going to give you my really quick thoughts on managing your layers. The first thing that you have to have is your base layer. And this is the layer that's basically your underwear. And it's always going to stay on. Now, depending on your expected weather, you could go with like short type briefs, or you could go with full length long johns, or you could go with both. If it's really cold, you're going to go with both. If it's like, well, if it's a little warmer, but you still need to stay warm, maybe you just go with boxer short length briefs. Okay, so we're talking underwear, we're talking a t-shirt, the stuff that's actually in contact with your skin. T-shirt, again, depending on the exact situation, you could go long sleeve, you could go short sleeve, and you could go all out like thermal long john underwear. Either way, that's what, or, or a combination of those, you know, we could go with a long, a long sleeve shirt and then a short sleeve shirt over that. So you get the idea either way, that's our base layer. And that's basically going to stay on most of the time with one exception that we're going to talk about in a little bit. The, the primary factors here are a little bit of insulation, comfort, and moisture wicking. So we want a fiber that's going to be comfortable in contact with our skin. It's going to provide that initial layer of insulation. So like I said, depending on how cold it actually is, or we're anticipating the weather's going to be, we're going to go with lighter, heavier, long sleeve, short sleeve, long short, or short, short, long pant options, all all sorts of configurations there. But the main things are going to be that comfort because it's actually touching our skin and the ability to wick moisture away from our skin. So I'm going to say here, we need to go with not cotton. Whatever we do, not cotton. So your options here are either going to be a high quality synthetic that's actually designed for 
this purpose, or wool. I'm going to go ahead and say that wool is best. Uh, like we talked about before, wool has a lot of qualities as far as its ability to maintain its insulation properties even when it's wet, comfort next to your skin, and, and actually wool has antimicrobial properties specifically for this base layer that prevent odor. So, so I think that wool is definitely the best option for your base layer. And I also know a lot of people are concerned. They're like, oh, if I get a wool base layer and then it ends up being a hot day, I'm going to be all sweaty and uncomfortable and too hot because some of us struggle more with staying cool. Some of us struggle more with staying warm. I get it. But some of the, especially the modern stuff that's made out of wool and is a a lightweight wool t-shirt underwear is actually really comfortable even when it gets warm. So it's it's one of your best options for that whole mid-range of temperatures. So next layer is we're kind of working our way from inside to outside, even if it's like super cold, like we're talking some of the some of the environments that I'm in where I live where it could reasonably be 60 below zero with blowing snow and staying warm is a challenge. So starting with that, that innermost base layer of a good quality wool shirt and underwear, um, socks also, I don't want to get too much into socks on this, uh, on this episode, but that's part of it. Um, good quality wool socks. And I actually use, I prefer wool socks regardless of how warm it is. And I'll go with like a super lightweight sock when it's warmer, even down to the mid range of temperatures and then a mid weight sock when it's pretty cold. And I don't go up to a heavy weight sock until we're talking about like, uh, 20 below zero or colder. That's me personally, but I'm one of those people that puts a lot more effort into staying cool than staying warm. So for you, if if you find yourself putting more effort into staying warm, maybe you shift that a little bit where you're wearing those heavyweight socks up to maybe like 20 degrees above zero and midweight and mid temperatures and lightweight and high temperatures. Anyway, good quality wool socks. If you if you don't already have some of those, check out Darn Tough Socks. Not a sponsor, just giving a plug to a really good quality company that makes the best socks out there. Okay, um, next thing after that base layer is what I like to think of as my insulation layer. So this could be anything from a hoodie, like a real a real simple layered system could just be a t-shirt, a hoodie, and a jacket over that, and that's kind of your insulation system. The more we're in harsher environments, the more we have to kind of fine tune our clothing system, but the next layer that I think of is my insulation layer. And this tends to be the puffy layer. So that could just be like a hoodie, like I said, if that's all the insulation that you need. Or it could be an actual synthetic or down puffy vest, puffy jacket, puffy pants to provide that actual insulation between your body and the outside cold temperatures. Now, Wool is okay here. Honestly, cotton is okay as long as it stays dry. 
but you never know when you're going to get that unexpected rainstorm or you fall in the water or whatever. So to be safe, stay away from cotton for your insulation layers. Wool is okay. Wool does pretty well here. This is where you'd have like a heavy wool jacket or something like that. And, um, but I would say either, either down or some engineered synthetic fiber that simulates down is going to be your best option here. Now, down versus synthetic. I actually tend to find myself preferring synthetic. And the reason being is that down, although it's a lighter weight, fluffier, provides more insulation with lighter weight than even some of the best synthetics, when it gets wet, it completely loses its loft or fluffiness and loses its a lot of its insulation value. So as good as a down jacket could be, I find myself feeling like I can't preach against cotton and then also promote down because they have the same drawback where they lose their insulation value once they get wet. Now there are some some modern treatments for down where they like spray the down with some sort of water repellent stuff and then pack it into the jacket or whatever it is that makes it a little better. I find even that stuff is not quite as good as a full synthetic. So when it comes to that puffy insulation layer, or as we'll talk about later in our sleeping bag, I actually prefer a full synthetic that's engineered to have that loft and insulation quality because even if it gets wet or damp, whether that's from the outside precipitation or from the inside perspiration, it's going to maintain its insulation properties. So uh, that's my opinion on that, that puffy insulation layer. Next is going to kind of be your outer shell. Now, ideally, your outer shell is probably going to be breathable, but mostly waterproof and is going to also give you some wind protection. And the weight of that outer shell and the materials that it's made from, those are going to depend on a few things. Those are going to depend on how much money you want to spend on it, the environment that you're in, the the wear and tear that it's going to take in that environment, and how waterproof you need it to be. So there are a lot of options out there, but those are kind of the the basic three that I think of when I'm thinking about my, my clothing system, base layer, insulation layer, and outer protective shell. Now you may also add onto that a rain shell or rain jacket or rain suit, which is going to be totally waterproof. And depending on how much money you want to spend on it is oftentimes going to be a little bit less breathable. Now, when I say breathable, I'm talking about Does it allow that condensation that's trapped from the heat of your body in your clothing system, does it allow that to move out through that layer of clothing without allowing moisture to come into that layer of clothing? And in general, there's not, there is just not a perfect material that allows easy movement of, of moisture and air out of your body to get rid of that moisture and is totally waterproof. That's always going to be a compromise. There are some materials that are pretty good at that 
And the better they are at that, this is again one of those compromises, the better a material is at being both breathable and waterproof, the more it's going to cost. So, so that's just a compromise that you're going to have to make. So I'm always going to carry a, a rain jacket or jacket and pants, whole rain suit, whatever. I'm always going to have that in my pack if there's even a possibility of rain so that you can, you can even stop hiking, throw that on, weather the rainstorm, stay dry, wait for the rain to pass, take that off, shake it out, dry it off, repack it and keep yourself dry, I'm always going to have something that's going to provide that rain protection if rain is a real possibility. Okay, the, the final kind of layer that I consider really part of our clothing system is a sleeping bag. And I consider a sleeping bag part of our clothing system because in my mind, the entire purpose of a sleeping bag is to keep you warm when you are inactive. Now, the more active you are, the easier it's going to be to stay warm, which is actually, let's, little sidetrack here, and I talked about how you're always going to leave that base layer on, except for one thing that I do. If I know that I'm going to be like, like let's say I'm going on a hunt, and my plan is to park somewhere, hike maybe a mile, maybe several miles, into a place where I'm going to set up in a spot that I've scouted before, hike in before dark when it's really cold, set up in that spot, sit still, get my binoculars out and start looking at the landscape around me, glassing for animals. If I'm in a situation like that, what I will actually do is strip down to the bare minimum clothing to stay reasonably warm or even a little chilly while I'm hiking. Because the last thing that I want to do is overheat while I'm hiking in, sweat up all of my clothing, and then that that moisture that's in my clothing, even if I have good wool or synthetic clothing, is still gonna still gonna be damp, uncomfortable, not providing as much insulation, and it's gonna take energy from my body to expel that moisture with the heat from my body. So what I will actually do is strip down to the minimum that I can kind of get away with hiking in without getting like frostbite, be just, I would prefer to be just a little bit uncomfortably cold on my hike in, set up in my spot, pull my nice warm dry clothes out of my bag, put those on at that point, and then sit down and sit still. Because when you're sitting still is really when you get cold. So I don't even want those extra layers on until I'm sitting still. So that's that's just kind of me, and that's kind of that exception that I talked about with when you might not actually be wearing those, those base layers. So where were we? Oh, sleeping bags. So like I said, in my mind, the sleeping bag is really just a final layer of clothing to keep you warm when you are the most inactive when you're sleeping. Or even, I, I've done this before, on like a hunt when I'm on that spot that I'm like, this is a good spot, I'm just going to sit still here for a long time and look for animals. If it's really cold, I have actually taken my sleeping bag out of my pack, snuggled down into my sleeping bag with my binoculars and laid there in my sleeping bag 
on the hillside looking for animals because that's like my final layer of insulation if it's really cold. Now, obviously when I'm sleeping is the most inactive that I'm going to be. So in order to be comfortable and get good sleep, I need to keep myself warm with that sleeping bag. So just a few thoughts on sleeping bags. If you're shopping for a sleeping bag, you're going to see something called a degree rating. You may see a zero degree sleeping bag. You may see a 20 below sleeping bag. You may see a 30 degree sleeping bag, a 50 degree sleeping bag. I'm not sure I've seen any that are over like a 50 degree sleeping bag. Be aware that that rating is very subjective and there's not some like established scientific standard of testing for sleeping bags that allows them to advertise it with that temperature rating. That's whatever company is making that sleeping bag. That's their own rating system to compare one sleeping bag that they make to another sleeping bag that they make. There, there's not an established, an established standard to those ratings. So you might think, well, I should just get one of each. I should get that 20 degree below bag for when it's really cold and the zero degree bag, the 20 above and the 50 above bag and have one of each. Well, you absolutely could, but most of us have budget limitations and quality sleeping bags. I would, in this case, definitely go for quality over quantity of sleeping bags. I would rather have one really good one than collect all five of of some that aren't so good. So if you have budget limitations like most of us do, I would I would recommend getting like a 0 degree sleeping bag from from any reputable manufacturer and that's going to keep you warm in a variety of circumstances. That's that's basically what I use. Now, if it's significantly colder than zero degrees, what I might do is just wear my clothes or wear more clothes inside that sleeping bag because it's just another layer of clothing. And I don't know where this rumor came from. I've heard it before. I've had all sorts of people try to tell me this before. They're like, oh, did you know you actually stay warmer inside of a sleeping inside of a sleeping bag if you're naked like i've heard that so many times but it's not true you don't like it's just physics like more r value more insulation between you and the cold outside world will keep you warmer so no actually being naked in your sleeping bag does not keep you warmer um on top of that with a with a synthetic sleeping bag, which is what I opt for over a down sleeping bag, with a synthetic sleeping bag, if your clothes are slightly damp, the best thing you can do is to get in your sleeping bag with your wet clothes on. Now, it's not going to be super comfortable. I would rather be nice and dry inside my sleeping bag, but the heat from your body, assuming that you're not going hypothermic, which is another issue entirely. Assuming that you're not going hypothermic, the best thing you can do is get in that sleeping bag with your wet clothes on and allow the heat from your body to drive that moisture out through that synthetic sleeping bag layer. That will actually dry your clothes and you will wake up warmer and drier than you would have otherwise. 
Now, let's say that it's really cold and you're like, I really don't want to sleep in this wet shirt or these wet socks or whatever. So you take them off and you set them outside your sleeping bag. The advantage there is that you're drier and maybe you'll get better sleep. The disadvantage there is that if you don't have a warm, dry shirt shirt or pair of socks to put on the next morning, that damp shirt or socks have frozen overnight. If it's like 20 below or zero degrees or even 20 degrees or whatever, if it's cold, those wet socks are actually going to freeze stiff and you will have ice in your socks instead of just a little bit of sweat. So the better thing to do is actually to wear those socks, wear that shirt inside your sleeping bag and allow your body heat to dry that clothing and drive the moisture out through that sleeping bag. Now, I've found that only works with a synthetic sleeping bag, not with a down sleeping bag. So that's why, personally, I'm a big fan of the synthetic sleeping bag. Now, Some people are like, oh, I'll just prioritize keeping my sleeping bag really dry. Like, great, so why not just prioritize keeping yourself really dry and then it's never an issue? Or, or just stay home, for that matter, and never risk venturing into the outdoors to begin with. That would be an option. Um, So for me, synthetic sleeping bag. And then if I do get cold and wet, I know I can always get in that bag. Even if my clothes are wet, even if that sleeping bag is wet, maybe me and my pack have fallen into a lake and I need to get myself warm and save myself from hypothermia. I can actually do that with a good clothing system and a synthetic sleeping bag. So that's my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. What else on sleeping bags? Um, We already talked about wearing your wet clothes inside the sleeping bag to dry them out. Um, Stuff sacks. So most sleeping bags come with a stuff sack. The way you use a stuff sack is it is not for storage of your sleeping bag. The insulation properties of of your sleeping bag depend on something called loft, which is basically the fluffiness of the fiber of the sleeping bag. So whether you opt for synthetic or down, do not store your sleeping bag inside the stuff sack because it compresses all of those fibers and you lose the loft. You want to store it long term hanging up. I actually have mine hanging on a hanger in my closet and I have the stuff sack hanging right next to it. Now it only goes in the stuff sack for transportation. So if I were doing like a a multi-day backpacking camping trip, I would take that, excuse me, I would take the stuff sack and the sleeping bag. I stuff the sleeping bag into the stuff sack and side note, don't try to roll your sleeping bag and then put it in the stuff sack. You literally just stuff it in, starting with the foot of the sleeping bag, shove it all the way into the bottom of the stuff sack. You're never going to get it to fit if you try to roll it. And then just grab a handful, shove it in, grab a handful, shove it in, grab a handful, shove it in. The whole thing will easily fit in that stuff sack. Mine then has a drawstring at the top where I can draw it closed. It's completely contained in the stuff sack. Mine then has two compression straps where I can pack it down even tighter into an even smaller package and pack it on my on my pack. I can then hike from one place to another. The first thing that I'm going to do when I get to my campsite, 
even before I set up my tent, is I'm going to take, as long as it's not raining, if it's raining, I'm going to do this second. If it's not raining, the very first thing that I'm going to do is take my sleeping bag out of my pack, take it out of the stuff sack, and let it fluff up again on its own so that it's in that stuff sack for the smallest amount of time possible because you don't want to compress that fiber any more than you have to. Now, if it's raining and I don't want to get that sleeping the sleeping bag wet, I'll actually set up my tent first and then unroll my sleeping bag inside the tent so it stays dry. Uh, next, in order to make your whole sleeping situation just a little bit a little bit more comfortable, I'm also a big fan of the inflatable pillow. Mine packs down into a little pack about the size of a bar of soap. You can pull it out, blow it up. Maybe maybe you call that a luxury item in the backcountry, something that weighs like less than an ounce and packs down into the size of a bar of soap that I can blow up and then have a nice comfortable pillow. Um, pro tip with inflatable pillows, whatever clean t-shirt you're going to wear the next day, use that as a pillowcase on your pillow. And that'll keep the oils from your skin and your face from soaking into your inflatable pillow and making it all nasty. So you're actually using a pillowcase like a civilized person. The other thing is use the one that you're going to wear the next day, not the one that you wore the previous day so that it's not already all smelly and sweaty. So that's what I do. A sleeping pad is the next thing to make your whole sleeping situation more comfortable. And you have options here. Again, lightweight, durable, inexpensive, pick two. And we could probably do a whole podcast episode on advantages and disadvantages of different sleeping pads. Just know that there are ones that that roll up and are very durable and inexpensive. There are ones that are inflatable, that are cheap and lightweight. And there are ones that are inflatable and or self-inflating that are more expensive and lightweight and also durable. So, um, yeah, pick two of the three lightweight, durable, or cheap. That's, that's item number two skill skill. Item number two in the backcountry is managing your clothing system. So I just realized we're over an hour now and only at skill number two backcountry skill number two bushcraft skill number two of our top 10. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here for this week. And we will continue with our top 10 bushcraft skill items next time. So, um, yeah, I know we only covered two, which were packing your backpack and managing your clothing system, but you really can't overstate the importance of those when you're talking about your comfort and proficiency in the backcountry or camping or whatever it is. So like I said, we're going to wrap it up there for this week and we'll be back next time. Little sneak peek. Our number three item is tying knots and proficiency with rope. Uh, so that's the, our number three item in our 10 items. And we will talk about that along with all of the others next time. Until then, get out there, do some camping, enjoy the backcountry, 
and pursue your mastercraft. Bye. Theme music for the Master of None podcast is Club Seamus by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. CreativeCommons.org. If you need some of your own original music, go check out Kevin's other work at his website, Incompetech.com. <laughs>